kicking a ball and breaking everything in my house and <laughs> going out in the backyard where I created like, you know. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. This episode is sponsored by Thing. The Seattle Theater Group and Sasquatch Festival founder Adam Zacks present Thing. From August 26th through the 28th at historic Fort Warden in Port Townsend, you can enjoy a vast musical lineup, including Jungle, Modest Mouse, Father John Misty, and many more. The Thing Festival features two primary stages overlooking the Puget Sound, not to mention a variety of camping and parking accommodations. You can either book a one-day or three-day pass, and kids 12 and under are free, making this an event for the whole family. Come enjoy live music, art, and beautiful Fort Warden with us. To find out all the details, visit thingnw.org. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. I'm here with Sam Zazette. Did I say it right, Sam? Please. Nailed, nailed it. Oh my gosh. See, I knew it, but I had to ask. No, just kidding. Uh, Sam is, well, Sam, you're listed as co-founder and GM of Ballard FC. And your bio also says grew up in Wallingford, went to Ballard High, University of Puget Sound. Why don't you take over from there? So what's, Sam, why is, why soccer? Why'd you play soccer as a kid? What, what got you into this sport? Mm. Um. You know, I I only ever remember playing soccer, like, you know, from the youngest age, I was kicking a ball around, whether it was kicking a ball and breaking everything in my house and <laughs> going out in the backyard where I created, like, in our small backyard in Wallingford, I created a little, like, soccer training pitch with some goals and things like that. And I would set out cones and I would practice and play in my basement and set up little goals. I was just always either just like playing for fun, but also training a lot. Like I, uh -huh. I wanted to be a pro. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. So I was always working on that. And so uh, let me interrupt you as a kid, yeah. who was, who was, mo who was like, who'd you look up to as a kid? Um, you know, well, my, my dad coached me. He was my first coach and he coached okay. me until I was 11. So I had that kind of, but then in terms of like pro players that I was watching, you know, um, I, I remember having this poster on my wall for a player named Ruud van Nistelrooy. He's a Dutch player who played for Manchester United. He was a striker. And I have no idea why, you know, it's like one of those things, you're a five-year-old kid and you're whatever, watching a, a, you know, Premier League game up on the TV and you just pick that guy with the red jersey and you go, that's my player, Ruud van Nistelrooy. And, uh, but I like, you know, that's kind of was my entry point into soccer, right? It was, you know, you had, you know, Fox Soccer Channel, which would play games every so often and, uh, and I would, I would watch and, and for some reason I got attracted to Manchester United. I'm no longer a Manchester United fan, by the way, Liverpool okay. now. So, All right. All right. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I just got into it and I was just a total, just, you know, that was like everything I wanted to do was play soccer, whether it was, you know, play for my club team or, or train by myself or play with my friends on the, you know, after school, I was just like, so into it. And, uh. So I played, I, I did, you know, I had other hobbies. I, you know, played music and, and, and did some other things, but, but soccer was always kind of the thing for me it was my main driving force. And so, um, I knew I wanted to play in college and I wanted to see how far I could go with the game 
after college and see where that could take me. And uh, I had my first coaching experience when I was about like 14 or 15 years old Mm -hmm. and, you know, coaching, you know, seven and eight year olds for a summer camp. And I thought, man, this is so fun. Like, it's so rewarding. It's difficult. It's challenging because these kids are running around like crazy. But when you I had this moment where you like you you can teach a kid, you know, you're coaching a player and they're struggling with confidence and they're trying to learn. And finally, when they have that breakthrough moment, and they're like, wow, I can do this now. There was something so rewarding to me to like be able to. It's not just like teaching how to kick a ball into a goal, but it's like teaching how to believe in yourself and how to find confidence and how to overcome adversity. And like, you know, like I was like, wow, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. So at that moment, I was like, I think I want to be a soccer coach after I finish playing. And so kind of what drove me through college and beyond was to pursue playing to the furthest point I could, but all the while kind of work on my coaching to mm-hmm. try to be a full-time coach after I finished playing. And so I went to University of Puget Sound where I studied exercise science, um, which I was also wanting to see, hey, maybe there's like some strength and conditioning, personal training components to my life that I could you know, start working on. So I studied exercise science. I, I played soccer at the University of Puget Sound, had an awesome time. I was a captain by my senior year. You know, we were a successful team on the field. You know, we won a conference championship, which was really exciting. Got to compete in the NCAA tournament. Um, and, you know, being a Division three player, it is pretty challenging to play professionally because, you know, you've got Division one college athletes, Division two, which automatically on their resume, you know, is going to look like a better player. And so... You know, it was, a, it was a difficult challenge for me to play at the, the professional level, but I was able to, you know, go and play a few places, including, you know, for a small team in the south of Spain for four months. Uh, I ended up coming home and then playing for the Tacoma Stars, which is a oh. professional indoor soccer for two years. Okay. Um, and bounced around at a lot of different semi-professional clubs like AFC Ann Arbor in Michigan, uh, the Kitsap Pumas here in, uh, which were in Britain, no longer a, a club. They're defunct now, but they were in Bremerton, Washington, um, and a few other clubs. So I kind of had, in a span of almost like three or four years after I finished college, had played for like six or seven different teams for little four-month stints. But it was a lot of, you know, moving around, playing the game, and chasing it. But I got to meet a ton of amazing people, make friends from around the world, learn a lot about myself, about soccer, about community. And I think all of that, all that while playing for these different teams and traveling around, I thought, why doesn't Ballard and even more generally Seattle have a club at this grassroots community level? Why don't we have a team for 500 to 1,000 people to come out on a Friday and get together? And it's like, with the goal of it being like you walk into the stadium and it's your neighbor from a couple of years ago who you see. And it's like, it's just like a small, it's, it's more accessible. It's more reachable. And ultimately, you know, as a fan, you get to be right there on the field level. You get to get an autograph with the picture with the player after the game, the kids get to run onto the field after the game. There's just something about that small community feel where I got to see that in some different places and think I would love to do something like this for, you know, in our community when I, when I can at some point. So I was like, maybe in 30 or 40 years when I'm a lot more settled down, I'll start a club like that. And then I'm working full time for the Sounders and the camps and clinics program, you know, helping to put that all together. And I've done a lot of, you know, other things with my coaching licenses and stuff. And, uh, 
it just the time was right. You know, it, when when COVID hit where I was like, we are going to need community more than ever when we come out, when we can come out of this. So this right. was like, you know, May of 2020. Okay. And I was like, the time is now to, to start working on this so that when we can come out of COVID, we can have something to bring community together, something super positive for people to look forward to, for kids to be able to get that that childhood experience back of of being, you know, and I just, that was like inspiring me to kind of ramp things up. So I got together with Lamar Nagel, one of our, one of my friends from the Tacoma Stars, played for the Seattle Sounders for years, super experienced professional soccer player who's played at the highest level and, and a really great guy, smart guy. And it's like, hey, have this idea. What do you think? Like, what you want to do this thing? And he immediately was like, yes, let's do it. Which was like a huge piece to galvanize the project. Okay. Um, so we got working on it. We started working on facility and we started working on with the league and, and trying to put all like the kind of bigger picture components together. And let me, uh, let me pause you because yeah. I, like I, I told you on the phone, I, I know next to nothing. Well, let's just assume nothing. Sure. So it'll be easier. Is <clears throat> I don't understand the leagues in soccer. So what okay. I believe, this is what I believe to be correct in you feel free to correct me, but um, the premier league is probably considered the, the highest league of quality, a caliber of soccer in the world. Would that be accurate? Or is it the champions league? Which one it's. That's a good question. So the premier league would be considered the highest quality individual league. The champions mm-hmm. league takes the best teams from England, Germany, Spain, okay. France, right? Like, okay. And puts them all together. Okay. But it's, then, it's, yeah. Okay. So then major league soccer at the U S level yeah. is not at that overall caliber of play Would that. Was that accurate or am I, am I, am I out of date information now or it's getting better? I believe I, no, isn't that's, it, it, that's a, yeah, it's definitely accurate in general. I mean, it's getting better for sure. Okay. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not there yet, but okay. it's certainly every year is getting a little bit, a little bit better. So where I get confused is when I hear of uh, a player Beckham was playing where who is he playing for back originally back in the you know uh, Manchester United and then Manchester Real, United and then Real Madrid okay and then he comes to them the the Major League Soccer mm-hmm. you know does he still do, do those teams does let's say Real Madrid do they still have his rights for that other league I don't understand how these guys are moving around I guess that's where I'm getting confused because then well, they're playing. In the have, World Cup, do you I, have like four or five hours now? Because you know, oh. <laughs> it's it is incredible. I mean, because I could explain. You know, there's like the the way the rest of the world works in terms of players and their rights and their contracts, and then you know, a team can per- so say you're on a three year contract, right, okay. with Real Madrid, and Manchester United says, well, we want Scott, and we, and, but he still has two years left on his contract. Well. Manchester United will say, well, you owe us $30 million and you can basically sign him now. We'll, we'll you know, you have the rights mm-hmm. to sign him to a new contract yourselves. And they say, okay, we'll pay that fee, right? So that happens in these European systems. But where it gets nuanced is with, with the MLS. The MLS is a single entity structure, just like, you know, like the NFL and the MLB, right? So the MLS operates almost as its own, as just that one entity. So mm-hmm. if, if, if the Sounders want a player... And he had, you know, it's the same kind of thing, a transfer. The transfer actually has to go through 
I don't even know the ins and outs, but it has to go through like the league. But then the player goes to the Sounders and the MLS has probably 75,000 pages of rules about how all the transfer of money goes. And it's really complicated. But uh, I guess we aren't really as part of that kind of like global ecosystem of soccer. Okay. As much as, you know, you expect. All right. So your league, so you're, you're in the USL two, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, what I'm reading is I'm I'm seeing the words. Let me see. What did I see here? They can still maintain their college eligibility. Kids could play and still maintain college eligibility. Yes. And then, so, that, so are so are pairs are pairs are players being paid on your team? No, and they can't they can't okay. be because of college eligibility. So our right. league exists to to provide college players. Mm-hmm. with an a three-month, essentially, like a three-month uh, training and playing, like part of their development, right? So okay. the college players have a three-month season in the fall from, you know, middle of August through early November or mid-November. And then they break for the winter and then they come back and they do a, a, a modified spring season of about three months. But then okay. they don't have anything to do. There's no formal, you know, training for them for the entire summer. So our league provides Uh, a high quality, high level training and development opportunity for those players to get done with their spring in the college, join us for the summer and then go back to their college in the fall. And it allows them to continue to develop and also have a platform to where, you know, professional scouts are watching these games are coming mm -hmm. to these games, taking a look at these players and seeing, is that somebody we might want to sign to a professional contract at some point? Okay, so actually this makes a lot of sense to me because this year I'm the PA announcer for the Wenatchee Apple Sox baseball team in the West Coast League, which is a collegiate, kids are playing, you know, University of Washington ballplayers, Oregon, kids from all across the U.S. are coming to these teams in Wenatchee or Port Angeles, Bremerton and all that. And they are being exposed to baseball at six days a week, like they do in the minors or the majors, right? So exposing them to how the game is played at the professional level, because at college level, they're playing twice a week. They're not playing at this level. So then a coach, let's just say it's a kid from UPS because you're, you're involved with UPS. UPS sends, says they have a pitcher that needs to work on his control, let's say, and you send him to Wenatchee. And Wenatchee's job for the summer is to use this kid and help him on, with that facet of his game. Are you, are is Ballard FC being asked by these colleges that that your players are playing from hey can you help him work on his defense or is it just they get to play more they're getting more hours of play um mostly the latter um there's not it's i think it's part of the difference there is like difference in sports you know like just the difference between baseball and, and soccer like it's not as as much It's like specifically like you need to work on free kicks or you need to work on your left foot. And so you need a coach to tell you like it just doesn't work like that in the sport as much. But we do have, you know, college coaches who will email or call and say, hey, I I have this player who I think would be a great fit for you. And here's his video. And here's why we think you should take him. And, you know, our coaching staff does that type of recruitment to put together a roster. So we do have predominantly college players, but we also balance that out with some players who are out of college that provides some more, you know, 
quality on the field because of their experience, but also some of that veteran leadership in the locker room to really help kind of guide the younger players and show them the way. Okay. And then at the other side of it, we also have some younger players. Like we have a senior in high school who, you know, like and some other you know, younger players who are like freshmen in college who are, you know, only 17, 18, 19 years old, who this is a great opportunity for them to play with mostly 22, 23, 24-year-olds and get that kind of like extra leg okay. up of development because they're competing in it, you know, with a higher level player. All right. Okay. So you're in the USL League 2. Is there a USL League 1? <laughs> there is. Okay. So what is the USL? How about yeah. we start with that? So the USL is, um, I guess, before I explain what the USL is, the U.S. soccer pyramid, right? There's a okay. first division of the pyramid at the top. That's the MLS. It's what the Sounders okay. and the Timbers all play in, and it's just the MLS up there in the first division. Okay. Then there's a second division of the U.S. soccer pyramid. It's fully professional. The players are paid. They're like teams like if you've heard of Sacramento Republic or uh, – you know, uh, Louisville, like they're, they're teams that are not quite big enough markets usually for mm -hmm. the MLS, but do a really good job. They get 10,000 or so fans out. Uh, all their players are paid. It's like a great organization. It's that second division. Okay. That's called the USL championship. Okay. Then there's the third division, which is USL league one. So it's similar to the USL championship, but kind of tamper it down to around 5,000 fans a game. Markets like there's a team called Union Omaha, FC Tucson. Um, okay. So kind of even slightly smaller markets than that USL championship. Okay. Those it's also fully professional. Players are paid. That's their career. That's what they're there to do. Okay. At the fourth division, it's us at the USL League Two. And mm -hmm. we are uh, the, the league uses the term pre-professional. So it's players who all are striving to be professional players. Uh, they are mostly NCAA players, and the NCAA rules say that if you play, if you're, you know, to maintain college eligibility, you cannot be paid to play the sport. There's new, you know, NIL rules which allow you to benefit from your name and your image and your likeness, mm -hmm. but you cannot be paid a contract. Ballard FC cannot pay a player to come play for the club because it would break NCAA rules. It would also break the league rules. USL League Two has rules that that don't allow okay. that either. All right. So how did you, going back now to your story, sorry, because I hijacked that, but I needed to, I needed some context because totally. I was trying to figure out where this all stacks. So COVID, you're working for the Sounders. Um, you think community is important. Do you want to put together a team? What, took you an afternoon? Hmm. super easy to do. I mean, you just called the league up and said, I want to put a team. And they said, sure, go ahead, do what you need. No. I mean, how was this process? What, what was the journey like from the idea to, you know, the actual first, first game, first match? Yeah. I mean, it, I, it definitely took a lot. It took a lot of work, but even before all that, it took a lot of like thought uh, and strategizing and crafting and really bothering my friends and my fiance <laughs> and bugging them constantly about what about this? What would, would that work? What do you think about that? And them saying, shut up. We just want to watch TV. <laughs> so I was, well, I, I was, have an important question. Your fiance, are you married now? Uh, married. We'll be married in September. Okay. So it didn't ruin the relationship. So awesome. No, if anything, okay. 
So even made it stronger. She's awesome. Helps okay. out with some of our marketing. She's at every game. She also cool. opened a business right at the same time. And we, I oh. help her a bit with her cafe. So no, no we, stress at all. Yeah. No stress in our house. No, no, okay. sir. Um, <laughs> but so I was thinking about this for probably at least like a year and a half or more. Like, what would the budget be? Where would we play? What, like, how would we market this? How would we put a team together? Who would coach it? How would they coach it? Like, really kind of thinking through all of those, like, things and just just thinking about it. I wasn't really putting it down on paper, building spreadsheets yet, or, like, talking to anybody about working with me. It was mostly just, like I said, bothering my friends, bothering my fiance and thinking about it. Uh <laughs> You know, and then that's when I think in COVID where I like took this like just thinking about it, this pipe dream idea and was like, I'm going to I'm going to like put some more thought and like like detail into this, into what this could be. Started like working on some spreadsheets of like, what would a budget be? What would it take to make this thing happen? Because the reality is like to make something special, you do need to be able to fund it, right? So how would we fund this? Like, that's an important question. How are we going to pay for a facility? How are we going to pay for coaches and keeping the lights on and people and all of that, right? So it's putting together a plan of like, how can we turn this idea of a soccer team into a business? Because to Mm -hmm. me, that's, it's a really important part of this. It's not everything, but it's really important that this is a sustainable business. Because it can't be something that relies on people for one or two years going way, way above and beyond and stretching themselves thin because then when you lose those people in a couple of years, what are you left with, right? So it has right. to operate as a sustainable business so that in 10 years, Ballard FC is even better than it was in year one um, and can continue on and be here for decades, right? So that was kind of what I was first thinking about in early COVID was like, okay, what does the business of this look like? How does it, how does it operate sustainably? And then it was contacting Seattle parks about the use of Interbay stadium because Interbay stadium is a beautiful, you know, 1200 seat capacity stadium in the heart of Seattle soccer specific, which means no football lines, uh, which is important for me as a soccer player, but also as a soccer fan watching a game on a, on a soccer specific pitch is really Mm -hmm. important, you know, looking into how to have a beer garden, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and how to make the game day experience fun and memorable and lively. And so that's what I was working on, you know, solo for the first bit. And then, you know, approached Lamar and Lamar brings a ton of experience in the soccer side of it. So how are we going to build a roster? Who's going to be our coach? How are we going to be successful on the field? Lamar also brings experience uh, with like community impact, social impact. So what are some of the ways that we can benefit the community and provide an experience that is, you know, brings people together and 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 inspires kids and, and has a net positive impact on the community, right? And then things really galvanized when we were introduced to our third co-founder, Chris Kamer. And Chris is a Ballard High School graduate as well, uh, a bit older than myself. And he, you know, super smart Yale graduate, worked at the intersection of soccer and social impact for 10 years, traveling around the world, working for, you know, nonprofits, specifically using soccer to benefit communities. Uh, And just brought a huge wealth of knowledge on, again, the social impact space, but even more so kind of on the startup space and like budgeting and, you know, accounting and finance, you know, raising money and, and, and sponsorship. So 
that when Chris came on board, things really kind of, you know, picked up and got a lot more organized. And Chris really helped to kind of take us to the next level as an organization. And then from there, it's just like was a lot of work on the on the marketing and the game day operations side to make sure we're all set and ready to go. But it's been good. I have lots of questions. Game day. How many people does it take to put on a, a, a game day? Oh, um, about 30. Wow. Okay. Oh, more. Actually, I'm not even thinking about vendors and contractors. It's probably 50. Wow. That's a lot of folks. That's more than I anticipated you were saying. Okay. Well, that's to do it the way we want to do it, which is like, we want to do it. uh, We want to do a really good job. Like we want it to be, we want to make sure that there isn't a huge line to get ticket scanned. So instead of having one person scanning people's tickets, we do three. We don't need to do three, but that way someone gets into the stadium in 30 seconds instead of 10 minutes. Right. And we want to have the beer lines be really short. So we have three beer lines instead of one. We, you know, have uh, three food options. And so we like, we stretch it out so that people have a seamless experience. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Let's talk about building a roster and putting together coaches and all of that. Was that a simple process? How did you, for example, your, your head coach, how'd you find that individual? So our head coach actually reached out to us. Um, We had, we were in like the beginning stages of starting to explore coaching options in like December and we had launched and our head coach reached out to us and said, uh, his name is Jason Farrell and he uh, is, lives in Ballard and has played for the Sounders back in the day, played for the Columbus crew in the MLS uh, played for the University of Washington, you know, in, for college and, and Seattle Pacific mm-hmm. University. He had coached, you know, had been a high level, like particularly in the youth game for over 20 years coaching. Uh, super experienced coach, great reputation, great person. He reached out to us and said, I'd love to be involved in this project. And I would love to, you know, chat more with you about it. And so him and I got a beer and hit it off you know, from our first beer. And I thought he just seems like the right fit. And we, we had more, you know, interviews and conversations and it just became super clear, super fast that Jason was going to be just the right fit to be our okay. head coach. And he has done a tremendous job. Was the city easy to work with when it came to getting, oh, I love that smirk on your face. Sorry, folks. Yes. He's, he is shaking his head. No, and I'm no, 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 no. I'm joking. I'm joking. I know. No, no. I'm serious. Was it, was the city easy to work with? Because these parks are there for, I mean, when you cross into commercial, do, do, do the city understand that or how, how did that experience happen? Um, so parks is, uh, so, so interbase stadium is, uh, operated by Seattle parks and recreation. Mm-hmm. Seattle Pacific University has is a long term tenant of Interbase okay. Stadium, so they also have some, you know, some say in it all. Um, right. But ultimately, like scheduling the the stadium goes through Seattle Parks. They were super helpful with, you know, through the process when I was you know working on getting dates and then scheduling with the league and scheduling with our other teams and you know pulling permits and 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 all of that was, uh, you know helping it every step of the way to help make it happen. You know, it's not a perfect process. You know, there's certainly some things that could be improved upon to make it 
little easier, um, but also make it just a little more, you know, turnkey in some ways. But mm-hmm. in general, you know, they've been a great partner. Um, and we're really grateful that, like, we're really grateful first that there is a stadium like Interbay in the heart of our city. You know, that's not normal. You know, not all cities have this beautiful thousand seat capacity soccer specific stadium right in the heart of the city. A lot of teams have to go, a lot of teams in our league have to play at a high school and Mm -hmm. at high schools, they don't allow alcohol sales. They also have football lines and the turf is outdated and we get to play on a field that doesn't have any of those issues. And it's because Seattle parks and recreation do a great job of maintaining the facility. And so we're really grateful, you know, to be able to have this facility. And it was like the first contingency for Ballard FC to happen was we needed to make sure we have a good facility and Inner Bay is that facility for us. Well, it would be nice, you know, from a from a playing standpoint, playing on an appropriate field marked appropriately is always helpful. I, I'm I'm a baseball fan, and so when you watch baseball and they're playing on a football field and you got the lines, yeah. it, it's just it's confusing to follow either sport when you're when it's mixed up. So I totally. can imagine here's the same same sort of challenge and beer sales. Um, a fans like it and B it's a good, nice source of revenue. So helps continue. Like you want this to be a, a sustainable business that, we, that helps contribute to that. Well, actually for us, beer sales are uh, not a source of revenue because really? um, uh, inner Bay is a, is a park, you know, Seattle parks and right. you have to be the, the, Beer Garden has to benefit a nonprofit organization is the rule is the Seattle Parks well, and Recreation and, cool and thing, the liquor though. the liquor control board rules. So our beer garden benefits the Rubens Brews Foundation, which does amazing work, particularly with their Mosaic Brewers Collective, to bring uh, folks in uh, from underserved communities into the brewing industry, which has been a predominantly white and male uh, mm-hmm. industry. So we're super stoked about being able to you know, help raise money through the beer right. garden for the Rubens Bruce foundation. But it's not a, it's more of an experiential thing for okay. us okay. Uh, providing well, a good experience than it is a moneymaker, but, but for, for a lot of folks, but, it, it does exist. as a money But maker. at the same time though, I mean, there's, there's a benefit that you're a, it's for the experience for the fans, but B you're, you're helping a nonprofit that's bringing some uh, diversity into an industry. That's, totally. that's, that's awesome. Okay. How was it? So when you approached USL, what was that process like? Um, they, so I had first gotten introduced. So I, I told somebody at the, um, at another team that's an, another USL two club mm-hmm. that I was interested in doing this and I was picking their brain and, uh, and I was, you know, kind of, they were a mentor for me as I was kind of thinking about starting the club and helping providing resources and and guides on how to, you know, really, really important stuff to help me get started. And they sent right. the, you know, an introduction over to the league. And in my initial call, I just kind of put together, you know, this is what I think this could look like and how it would work. And then there's a formal process of, you know, putting together an expansion application and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, including a sample, you know, budget and PL and, you know, information about your venue and your marketing plan. And they want to like, make sure that you're coming into this with a thoughtful plan. And then also they provide guidance along the whole way of actually, we recommend you try doing this this way. And like there's, they were super helpful in not only like they weren't just reviewing all of our materials, but like going through each item with us and helping guide us on best practices. So they took to our 
bid our expansion bid really well. They, it was like when I kind of explained the vision, they were like, yes, this is great because what we're doing that's different from a, a lot of other teams in the country is we are in a city, in a city where we're, we're representing a neighborhood within a city. So mm-hmm. we're not North, we're not just Seattle FC instead of Seattle Sounders or North Seattle mm-hmm. FC. We went as hyper local as possible with Ballard FC. That's our club. And okay. most teams in the USL2 or even in lower, you know, other divisions, they'll kind of take on just representing again, like the whole city and mm-hmm. being like, you know, Seattle United Football Club or something like that. Like, if you get what I'm trying to say, like yep. not hyper localizing it. And so, yep. The USL was like, this is really fascinating. We don't have a club that represents a neighborhood within a city. We only have clubs that just represent cities. Mm-hmm. And so they thought it was really interesting. Um, and it's something that we all, we feel like, we feel like could be more common. Is that like, like it's it has to extend beyond Seattle that there are neighborhoods or communities within cities that have mm-hmm pride of place just the way cities do right like people support the seahawks and the sounders and the mariners because they love those sports mm-hmm. you know people support the the storm and the kraken because they love basketball and they love hockey right they love watching those sports but even more so i think people love to celebrate the pride in their city or their their region or their their right. area right like i'm celebrating my pride in in my community now, right. why can't that also extend lower to our to our more grass to our 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 neighborhoods, our our grassroots communities, and right. especially Ballard, which has a history and a pride of place and uh, a tradition that has its own you know history to it, its own pride that can that can warrant celebrating itself through a team. So that was our pitch. Like, we love this neighborhood. This neighborhood loves this neighborhood. The community loves Ballard and like people want to rep that. So we're going to give them a, a team to celebrate that pride. Mm-hmm. And the league very cool. helped us out the whole way. So you mentioned an expansion. You, you applied for expansion. You're in the Northwest Division. Correct? That's right. How many teams are in the Northwest Division? Six. Are you the newest entry into the division? Actually, no, uh, we were going to be. And then uh, a team in Olympia called Oli Town FC joined uh-huh. the league just after us. Um, and so us and Oli Town FC are the two newest additions. We came in just around the same time. Around the same time. Yeah. So I'm reading. So the, the actually here's this isn't confusing to me. Lane United Football Club. I have no idea. Where's Lane? Where, 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 where's that team? Lane United. So Lane County is in Oregon. It's Eugene. So they play out of Eugene in Eugene. Okay. And then there's the Oregon Valley Football Alliance. Yeah. They are in um, Albany, Oregon, which is like okay. uh, Albany and Corvallis. Uh, right. So they're they're down there. That's a, they have like a youth club system. Mm-hmm. So, and then they, ha- this is like their, you know, U23 team of their, of their youth club, but they're and based PDX, out. I'm guessing is Portland. Yeah. You got that right. And then the two teams here in Washington, the Oli Town and oh well, Cap- who's Capital FC? They're based out of Salem. Salem, okay, yeah. So it sounds like Oregon got the jump here on us, and Washington's going to catch up. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, this league has fluctuated a lot over the years. And it's something that we hope we can help change is like providing some more stability and consistency. You know, there used to be a team called Kitsap Pumas out of Bremerton. There was a team, uh, man, there were other teams in this league. So Washington has had teams and Washington obviously has a storied soccer culture and history. But for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, this division in the league hasn't seen as much consistency out of the Washington teams. And we hope that we can kind of help provide that stability and consistency. So when we talked earlier and we're sorry, we'd never follow a great train of thought here. We're always (laughs) right on the show. When we talked earlier, you you mentioned um, that playoffs are coming in the near future. At the time of this recording, we haven't hit the playoffs yet. And you, you, you Ballard FC hopes to make the playoffs. And you mentioned that there's 140 teams. That was mind-blowing to me. I think it's actually like 120. Okay, well, Sorry. okay, my mind's up. Well, I might have okay, inflated it. it. No, 120, there's, still, there's 120 teams at this caliber level of play across the United States. Right? There's actually more because uh, there's another league. Oh. What, what is the other league we haven't, we haven't talked, we haven't referenced? This Gosh. league, the other league is called the NPSL, National Premier Soccer League, and they exist in the fourth division as well. But okay. their standards are a little bit lower. Okay. Um, so certain things like, you know, game day experience and travel mm-hmm. and press box, like things that make a club more. I don't know. They have a they have a look, but it also helps for clubs that don't quite have maybe as much of a budget and it's easier barrier, okay. lower barrier of entry. But anyway, our league has the USL League Two has 120 clubs and there's there's other clubs as well. Um, but yeah. So the Northwest seems a little light with with six teams. That just seems a little light for the area that we're in. Where is this league heavily concentrated in? Big in California? Is it? Zach, uh, there is, you know, the Southwest Division, which is mostly California, has has uh, nine teams. Okay. Um, you know, I would say the you know the East Coast as well as like okay. the Midwest. Like there's a there's a whole division for the state of Michigan with like eight teams in it. I think. Oh wow! Okay. So it is a bit like regional. You know, it's hard to say. I wouldn't know why certain regions. It's just you know, it's one of those things too where like word gets out. And I actually mm-hmm. think because we've come into the league and people are looking at us and we're doing a decent job, you know, off the field with the organization, like other folks are, we get messages often. Like we've had at least three or four groups reach out saying, we're thinking about starting a USL two team. Could you give us some advice? So, okay. Okay. you know, I think that that will help spur more groups coming into the Northwest division. And I wouldn't be surprised if by 2024, if there were eight or nine teams in our division. Wow. Okay. I mean, I would think that, you know, these are all Western Washington or in Oregon, Western side of the state. I would, I would think that Eastern Washington could certainly support teams. I would think East, some places in, in Eastern Oregon, in my, not as many in Eastern Oregon than West Eastern Washington, but yeah, you, I could see how this would be a great, you know, say Wenatchee, for example, or Ellens, not maybe Ellensburg, maybe it's a little small, maybe, but Yakima. Wenatchee had a team for a while called, I think, the Wenatchee Reds. Maybe, but I, I, they I've only lived in Wenatchee for not at this years, level, so. but but okay. there are there are some teams out there, but it's like there's a jump that that they like. There's a team called Spokane Shadow, right? Like out of mm-hmm. Spokane, you know, there's a team in Bellingham. 
uh, Bellingham Hammers. There's a team in Yakima. It's the Yakima Reds, actually. Okay. Um, so they're teams, but like there's a big jump to go from the league that they're playing in to the USL, this national league. Okay. So it's about like if teams like that could make the jump or not. So, if, okay. We get, coach approaches you, says, hey, I'd like to be involved. You guys sit down, interview. It seems like a good fit. You get your coach put in place. What was it like going out in recruiting the roster? Uh, well, I had done a little bit of pre-recruiting, but really not much at all. So I, mm-hmm. it was like really the the head coach, Jason, and, and, and mostly Jason. And then, you know, I helped him a little bit and we would kind of work together a little bit on recruiting. But a lot of it was kind of getting in contact with college coaches and then also just kind of taking a look at the local college players. So, you know, Seattle University, SPU, UW, you know, uh, and then also looking at players who were from Seattle and had gone to play college elsewhere and okay. kind of how they're doing in, in their path. And then it was also fielding a lot of emails and texts and phone calls from players saying, hey, I'd love to play for Ballot FC this summer and taking a look at their film and resume and all that stuff. The final step to it was hosting open tryouts uh, where we had over 200 players register uh, to sign up. Actually, I'm sorry, it was 150 um, players register and come to tryouts across three. We had three sessions with 50 players each and um, saw some great players. We ended up, uh, you know, signing four players from the tryout system to our roster of 30. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was mostly a recruited roster, but then we also wanted to make sure that we had open tryouts for anybody who, you know, didn't go through the normal kind of recruiting system. Okay. First game day. How much fun was that for you to see this thing? It was surreal. Yeah. Um, it it was, yeah, it was truly pretty incredible. You know, the weather, the day, May 21st, we had had, you know, a horrible spring of rain and crappy weather. And then all of a sudden on May 21st, the sun comes out. It was 70 degrees. And oh, that was the one day. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, there was something actually kind of special about it that we had gone from such crappy weather to this beautiful day where mm-hmm. like people were like in a good mood because they were at the first ballot FC game and it was exciting. And oh, this is such a fun, cool thing. But then also, and we've got this unbelievable weather we haven't had in so long. This is the best day we've had since last summer. Uh, So it just was like a beautiful day The the energy in the stadium was electric. Like it was so positive. People were so I kept getting comments from from folks about like just how like nice, like like everyone was being just so nice and so positive and so generous. Like no one was standing in the aisleways. And then if somebody was if someone asked someone, hey, could you step out? Like everyone was just very conscious and thoughtful of each other and was holding doors for people and like there was just like this positivity and community energy in the stadium that was exactly what we wanted to do we wanted to give people a reason to be i mean happy but like grateful for their community and want to like feel some pride in that and 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 it felt like it was happening and so you know had a moment there was obviously on my end too a ton of logistics and my walkie-talkie was constantly buzzing with 
hey, we've got an issue here. We've got to need another garbage can there. And the ball went over the fence there and like, you know, all that stuff. But uh, it was such a positive day. And it also didn't hurt that we won 5-1. So, uh, you know, that, that was, was cool. That's going to be my next question. Okay, so you <laughs> yeah. won 5-1. to one. So who scored the first goal in franchise history? Um, the first goal in franchise history. Oh, my God. I remember... Oh, it was uh, Declan McGlynn. He is okay. our, he's a number 22. He's a Seattle U player, really, you know, from Kirkland, Washington, and it was a free kick. So he got fouled around 20, 22 yards out of the, you know, away from the goal, and he sets the ball down for a free kick. And um, if you know soccer well enough to know, like, there's like a, you know, five players kind of line up to block the mm-hmm. ball. About they're, they're allowed that's what be- I've seen on Ted Lasso. So okay. That's what I know. Perfect. So it's a, it's a Ted Lasso <laughs> style free kick, you know, stadium is watching with bated breath because it's like 35th minute into the game. It was kind of an even game until that point. He steps up, perfectly strikes the ball up and over the wall of players. So there's like uh-huh. five or six of the players in the other team lined up to block the ball. The goalkeeper's on kind of the other side of that on the goal line. So it goes perfectly up and over the wall, comes down into the side net of the goal. Goalkeeper can't quite get over in time. And the stadium just erupted uh, with energy and cheering. And uh, it was it was special. It was an amazing. Awesome. Yeah, first, All right. It was a great way to kick off. The first goal in, in club history. Okay. So you won five to one. How many how many matches have you played this season so far? Six league matches and one friendly. Six league. And what is your current at the time of this recording? What is your team's record? We are four wins and two draws, no losses. That seems Better than I would expect a expansion team, if you will. In the, it, <coughs> excuse me. In in my world, you know, expansion teams are a little different than what you're doing. But that's a great record to start with, for for zero and two. Where are the other teams in the in the Northwest Division? So the way um, the way soccer like the the league standing system works is um, you get three points for a win and one point okay. for a draw, you know, zero points for okay. a loss, right? So we are tied on points with Capital FC, that's a team out of Salem. They have one more game played, and that game is a loss. So they are four wins, one loss, and two draws. So we okay. each have 14 points. The next, there's two teams that are tied for third place. They both have seven points. So there's actually okay. a, a nice gap right now between us and Capital and the rest of the league. And okay. so our goal is to just keep that gap getting bigger and bigger and then qualify for playoffs. And the nice thing is the top two teams in our division qualify for playoffs. So, you know, so long as we we win a few more games and, you know, keep things, especially against those third place teams, which are OVF mm-hmm. Alliance, who we play this Friday, and PDXFC, who we play this Sunday, uh, mm-hmm. We should be in a good spot to qualify for playoffs, but there's obviously a lot of a lot of games ahead, and it's a very competitive division, and so we have a lot of work to do to secure that playoff spot. Because the league has so many teams, how far might you have to travel for the playoffs? Would you play if if, if the season ended right now and it was you and Capital? Would you have to play each other, or would you have to go out of the out of the Northwest Division? Well, hopefully, how, we would how does host. the playoffs work? 
yeah, our, our hope is that so you have like the Western Conference, right? So there's the three divisions in the Western Conference and eight teams out of those three divisions qualify for playoffs. And so okay. you're competing to be the Western Conference champion and then go to a four team, you know, there's four conferences. So the winner of each conference play each other in a national semifinal and then a national final. And so our goal, and, you know, we would potentially host a couple playoff games and then maybe okay. travel to California or Colorado or Utah to try to win the Western Conference. And then the uh-huh. national semifinals and finals could be anywhere. I mean, they could be in Florida. They could be in, you know, Vermont. I don't know. They could be. How anywhere. is that determined? It is determined actually uh, subjectively. The league chooses based on quality of performance on the field as a factor, but there's other factors like, you know, how good of a host of a game are you? How, how, what's the quality of your broadcast? What's the quality of your match day experience? Do you have the right facility? Like they're looking at all factors to make sure whoever's hosting playoffs are going to do a good job. Okay. You bring up broadcast. How, how are, how is Ballard FC? Broadcasting their matches. We stream our games on a platform called Eleven Sports, and then we embed that stream on our website. So if you just go to goballardfc.com on every match day, you can watch the broadcast for free. Really? Yeah. That's very cool. How well is how well has that been received? It's good. You know, I would I'll be honest and say the broadcast hasn't been at the level I wanted it to. We've had some issues with internet, with this streaming partner with Interbay Stadium just being kind of a funky stadium to broadcast out of. So mm-hmm. I would give us like a B minus on the quality of our broadcast. Uh, okay. And we have a lot of room to grow and we are going to make some steps both this year and next year to really improve that quality. Um, sure. But I think it's been received well. We've had great viewership numbers. You know, we've had, I think our home opener had a total like 8,000 viewers. That's great. Um, and then I, since then we kind of plateau for the rest of our games at around 4,000. So it's that's still a really good audience. Yeah, no, we're excited about it. We know that if we had a better quality broadcast, there's more we could do with it, but um, okay. we're working on that. That's a big part of what we want to do is, is, well, it's your first season. Come on. You gotta, you gotta have something well, to work on for season two. That's right? true. I mean, you just can't have it all dialed in. That's fair. Sponsorships, community support, all of this. So what was it like when you took this, idea to the public did you did you go try to like i I see ruben's brews uh prominently on the header of the site yeah right yep that's just because i like beer i just decided i know that's but (laughs) there look there's lots of great beers in the seattle area and uh did you approach ruben's brews and and what was that like i mean were they happy to jump on board a, a new a new unproven enterprise was the community thrilled by this yeah uh, the community support and response was above and beyond our expectations okay both from like the fan support businesses wanting to be involved it was bigger and faster than we ever thought so right okay um, that's awesome it was really it was really cool it was amazing and rubens we approached about a sponsorship uh felt right their owner is english huge soccer fan big tottenham supporter rubens is just a community staple in ballard it's um i mean fantastic beer but also just like a really great place to be on any given day to hang out and get together with community and 
we just felt like they were the perfect partner. Uh, and we approached them about just any level of sponsorship. And they, you know, were like, well, we want to be the title sponsor. So let's make it happen. And so we made wow. it happen. And they've been an amazing, amazing partner for us. Um, there's so much more to it than just like putting their logo on a jersey. Like it, we host events there. We, It's like, it's a true partnership um, that is really what our club is about. And um, we're really grateful to have such a great partner in them. And they do such amazing work to make our community a more vibrant and exciting place to live. And so it's, it's been fun partnering together. I think that's awesome. And I hope what I'm about to say goes over with the spirit that I intended to, but I am really happy to hear that the Ballard driving school is involved. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you come to a game and you see the Ballard driving Academy sign and you, you type in the little, you know, little URL that we put on there, uh, you know, that's just a little Easter egg for the folks who know. I love that. No, I'm looking at your sponsors and who's WN? You got a round circle with a WN on it. I don't recognize that logo. They're Western Neon. Um, hey, okay. I'm really sorry, Scott. I actually have a 4:30 all staff okay. meeting. Well, we're gonna cut this off to let you go. I'm thrilled that you guys are doing this. I know nothing about the sport other than, like I told you on the phone really fast, was that Ted Lasso. But I'm excited that I, I'm learning more and talking to you. I'd love to have you come back on and talk to us. We're going to let this one go and cut off. Sam, you've been a great guest. Thank you for making the time. I wish you guys all the success this season and future years. And we'll put a bunch of links in the show notes so people can find out more about Ballard FC. And I encourage you guys to get out and go go watch a, go watch a match. Awesome. Thank you so much for right. having me on, Scott. Of course. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.